Well, that is a really good remembrance for us, a reminder of the stuff we're dealing with today, which is the issue of forgiveness. But, oh my, I've got a couple things here before we get rolling. First of all, what? Mild winter, huh? Wow. (laughs) El Nebel. (laughs) I I was watching the uh, Weather Channel this morning and they're interviewing this meteorologist in Central Park, New York City, you know, the ball coming down tonight and all that stuff. And they're talking about how warm it is and and they they asked him, they said, why is there no snow this year in New York City at New Year's? And he said, because it's too warm. So everybody needs a little help. In fact, I need help today. I need two volunteers because I've got something I need to give you, and then later on I'm going to have you do something up on the stage. Now, um, I, I could have kids as long as they got parents along, and no, it's not like we got danger in the bag. But I, I need somebody who can at least count. So let's get the volunteers. Otherwise, we stay here till the ball drops. Okay. <laughs> Okay, now, do we have a couple? Is anybody saying with an upward hand, yes, I want to follow Jesus? You don't need to get up right now, but I'm going to give this to you, and you figure out, because at a certain time, you and some other lucky contestant is going to come up on stage and help. And uh, it's not going to embarrass you in any way. It's uh, as long as you can play by the rules. All right. March 14th, 1989 was a turning of the page of history. There was a woman named Zita, the last empress of the Habsburg Empire died. She died at the age of 97, had a remarkable life, was married to a guy named Karl, and uh, Karl, this uh, king-to-be in Austria, um, died about 10 years into their marriage. She had given birth to five kids by that time, and she was a widow, really, for the rest of her life till she died in uh, 1989 on March 14th. It was a remarkable thing because it was the closing of a page of history. She was the last empress of the Habsburg dynasty. So it was an important event in Vienna, Austria, where at the funeral, 8,000 people followed this casket of Empress Zita being pulled by six black stallions from St. Stephen's Church down to the other end of town a couple of miles away to another church called the Capuchin Church where the internment uh, uh, ceremony would take place. Remarkable event, not only for what was happening relative to the life of this woman and the passing of history and the turning of this page, but a remarkable event in my view because of the procedure that happened. As this hearse is step by step bringing this, this casket closer to the door of this church, the funeral procession leader steps out, steps up to the big doors of this church and knocks three times. Inside, a voice is heard. It is the voice of a priest who shouts back, who goes there? The response from the processional leader, Empress Zita, Queen of Bohemia, Dalmatia, Croatia, Slovenia, and Galatia. Inside the church door, the priest shouts back, I do not know her. Who goes there? Empress Zita, Queen of Jerusalem, Grand Duchess of Tuscany and of Krakow. Inside the church, I do not know her. Who goes there? 
Zeta, a sinning mortal. And the doors of the church swung open. If you sang that song we just sang with any level of understanding, you know that that is your story and that is my story. Because at the end of the day, our titles don't matter, our prominence really doesn't matter. What matters is that we recognize that we are sinning mortals. And amazing things happen when we do. In fact, the the doors do swing open of God's grace when we come to that understanding. I mean, unless you know that you are a bottom feeder. I mean, unless you know you are a wretched sinner, you can never have the courage to say that at the church doors, so to speak. But when we do and we know who we are, the, the, the gates swing open and the mercy of God is there to accept us. I, I love that verse from Psalm 103. We talk about it from time to time. It goes like this. It says, as far as the east is from the west... So far has he removed our transgressions from us. I suppose he could have said in that verse that he stuck them on the bottom of the ocean and you're never going to get there. They're never going to find you. That is really good news. That's what the gospel is about. That's what we who are Christ followers get to live in. That we, um, we are sinning mortals. But we serve a God who is gracious and swings those doors open. That is a preface to what we're talking about today, which is the responsibility of forgiven people. Because if we are truly forgiven, and if you are a Christ follower, you are, then you have a certain responsibility relative to extending forgiveness to others. Now, some of you are saying, I want out. And if you want out, it's okay with me. We already took the offering. (laughs) But the truth is, you as a forgiven person though you may have been harmed greatly in 06 or years leading up to that, and though people may have abused you and hurt you and caused great pain in your life, you have a responsibility to be a forgiver. And we, in fact, this morning are going to look at the words of Jesus, who now is going to straighten up with us about this very issue, and he's going to tell us a story that just ought to see our souls and make us willing to be merciful people, just as we have received mercy. Would you turn with me this morning to Matthew's Gospel? We're looking at the 18th chapter. chapter. That word gospel means good news. It's the story of Jesus. And Matthew chapter 18, found on page 695 in the Bibles that are all around here, have a very, very famous interchange with Jesus and uh, one of his disciples, a guy named Peter. Now, Matthew 18 is a wonderful chapter. When we get to verse 21, what's happening is Jesus is responding to a question from Peter that really, in the mind of Peter, is a question of nobility and of honor. I don't know how many questions I would want to ask Jesus because I just have a feeling that I might want to sit down right at the back of the class in short order. But Peter was willing to have an honest interchange, so he asked Jesus this question, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now you understand, Jesus did not have a meter clicking. He didn't say, keep a measure of how many times a person sins against you. What he's saying is, no, Peter, seven times really is not the concept. It's way beyond that. Let me blow your mind. It's 77 times. Not like there's a statute of limitations, like keep the tally going and then give up. But he was blowing the circuits of Peter. Why? 
Because Peter was raised under the rabbinical teachings of the Jewish rabbis. And the Jewish rabbis in those days would teach that there is a statute of limitations. There is a limit to forgiveness that you need to extend to others. And that limit was three times. So if someone stole from you and asked for forgiveness, uh, you were to forgive them. If they stole again, you were to forgive them. If they stole from you again, you were to forgive them. After that, the gloves are off, look out. So Jesus here isn't saying, no, it's, it's 71 be, or 70, 70 beyond what you had imagined, Peter. What he's saying is it's just infinitesimal. There's a lot for you to learn about this forgiveness. I just imagine what was going on. Was it Peter's pride? I don't know. I'm a proud person. Was it Peter's misunderstanding? There's a lot of stuff I don't get. But was it, was it just that, that, that Peter wanted to get something out and maybe thought of himself as a person of nobility and was really, in a sense, trying to go the extra yard? He, he took the three, doubled it, and threw in another one for good measure. And Jesus says, it's a little bit beyond that, Peter. As a matter of fact, we're about due for a parable. Parable is a story, right? It's like similar to that word parallel. It means goes alongside an eternal truth. It's a fictitious story. It's a made-up story to try to give you a truth that really ought to have eternal significance and sear into your soul. So Jesus tells a very famous story as Peter and the rest of the disciples, including us, get to hear. It goes like this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go hot dog. Now, Jesus was telling a story that would have resulted in a visceral response from the hearers because Jesus was telling some jokes. Now, I know it's not like Jesus says, guy walks into a bar, all right? But he's telling them something that that would have been considered humorous and the people would have chuckled as they were hearing the story. Well, what's humorous about this story? First of all, you got this king who was balancing his checkbook at the end of the year, right? And he's missing 10,000 talents. How much was 10,000 talents? It was like a zillion, billion, gazillion dollars. That's the idea. You would have made good disciples. Because Jesus said, a guy owes a bazillion, gazillion dollars, and, and it's like he's going to try to negotiate with the king. But it's, what's bizarre is the king has missed the account. Now, how much could you lose without knowing it? Some of you, you know, you just penny pinchers and you kind of, I don't know, me, I, somebody could probably lift 20 or $40 out of my wallet and I might not catch it. Or the, I might miss 100 bucks out of the checking account and I might not know it. I was proud of myself. Yesterday we were looking at some bills and I said, where'd this one come from? And then we had to make a call and found out. And I was like, well, you know, so I, sometimes I figure stuff out. But I will tell you this. <laughs> if there was a million gazillion dollars missing, I would know it. And this king kind of was just balancing and figuring it out. So chuckle. And then what's bizarre is this guy says some sort of weird things. It says, since he was not able to pay, well, 
The master ordered that he and his wife and children all be told to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees and said, be patient with me, I will pay back everything. Thank you. Jesus is saying, yeah, help the preacher. That was a good joke. I will pay back everything because the eyes are rolling. It's impossible for you to pay that back. It's just out of this world, so the story has an inanity to it. One other thing you ought to note here is that this guy was being forgiven a great deal. And I don't know if you have ever been forgiven a great deal of anything, but if you have, it really results in a pretty good feeling. Case in point. I was in graduate school. Uh, I was scheduled to be married in a few months. Um, Father-in-law always kind of held me with suspicion anyway. And the last thing I needed was a friendly letter in the mail from the Internal Revenue Service telling them that because I didn't do something right, I owed them $500, which I got. Now let me just say this. If any of you work for the Internal Revenue Service, I have a great deal of respect for you and I like you an awful lot. I was sort of freaked out by that, and I've got this 500 and I didn't have any money, and it's like $500 to me at that time was enormous. And I was like, oh, man, you know, it's going to mess everything up, and I don't know why. And, and a friend of mine who's an accountant says, well, just write letters to the IRS, just keep sending them letters and, and explain it, and you'll get something back and keep writing, and sooner or later you'll get a phone call, you'll be able to work it out. Well, you know, it took me about two and a half years. And they get, send me a letter, and they say, you're right, taken care of, Thanks for the clarification. Case closed, it's all over. I was just sky high at that time. You know, I was right, they were wrong, that made me feel good. 500, it was grown to about 700, but, and I'm, I'm just, just so grateful. Now imagine I go out the door and I see somebody who owes me a couple of bucks. You would think I would be in a benevolent mood at that time where I could say, let's go out and have a, ice-cold Ovaltine together. <laughs> so uh, you would think that would happen with the guy who was just forgiven a gazillion, bazillion dollars, and yet the response is quite different as Jesus tells the story. The chuckling, well, subsides. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. He grabbed him, began to choke him, Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. All right, this is where I need my road crew. I need my two assistants up on stage for a little bit here. You won't have to say anything. just need you to help me count. And uh, you could come quickly, come quickly. We're calling you forth. Thank you very much. Appreciate your uh, willingness to be dragged up here. Did uh, you call that L.E. Eagle? What was that? Yeah. <laughs> Does that mean it's going to be a short one? Or this will, well, we'll see what happens here. This is up to you how long it's going Because here's what I need from you, gentlemen. I got a ball of string here, all right? I got a tape measure, and I got a scissors. And what I need you to do is cut a piece of string 501 inches long. In fact, look at, we list it right up there. 501, that'll remind you. And you know what? In case you're having a hard day, here's a calculator to help you get there, okay? But I need you to do that right back here as I continue. Thank you for helping the preacher right now. Now, what is going on here? 
501, oh, you know what? We're actually even helping you a little bit more. That would be 41 feet, 9 inches. If you gentlemen can do that, once you got it cut, you just let me know and we'll continue. Now, what's just happened? This guy has just gone out and what he's seen is someone who owes him 100 denarii. How much is 100 denarii? It is a little bit. Okay, a hundred denarii is like pocket change, all right? So imagine in your mind, could you imagine looking at me for a minute, please? (laughs) And um, imagine in your mind a huge pile of money has just been forgiven you, all right? It is a big pile of money. And it's just, you know, from floor to ceiling. And you have just been forgiven that whole debt that you owed. And you walk out and you see somebody owes you a little bit of money. And you decide to really let them have it. That's what he did. Now, he was going to throw them into debtor's prison. You know what debtor's prison was? Back, uh, back in those days and in certain parts of the world, they have this procedure, it's a legal procedure, that if you owe somebody something and you don't pay up, they can take your family and throw them in jail until you do, which I suppose for some of you would not be much motivation anyway. <laughs> When I had graduated college, I spent a year in Central Africa and the mission house I was living in, we had a cook whose name was Amosi. And Amosi would, he'd just make breakfast and dinner and the whole thing for us. And one day, I go downstairs at breakfast time, I say, Habariyako, Amosi. He says, Mazarisana. Which roughly translated means, I'm fine. And you know, when someone says, I'm fine, In that sort of tone, they really don't mean it. Hey, way to go, gentlemen. Now, we're almost done here. I need you to take one end, and you take the other end and just stand down at the ends, and we'll hold that up tight for a minute because I want to make a point. See, debtor's prison then. What happened was Amosi was sad, and the reason he was sad was because his son had just stolen some gasoline, and they couldn't find him. It was great shame to the family, and it was an offense. It was wrong to do. The next day I come down for breakfast, there's no Amosi. Where is Amosi? He's in jail. He's the collateral to get the son to come back, which, of course, happened. That was debtor's prison. It was a terrible thing. Now, now here's what Bible scholars tell us. They tell us that the amount of difference between the 10,000 talents this guy was forgiven and the little bit he owed somebody else was one five hundred thousandth. You got it? That would be, remember I gave my $500, let's say I was forgiven $500 and, and I was so grateful and I stepped outside and I saw somebody who owed me not a couple of bucks, but in fact not even one cent, it would be one-tenth of one cent. And I threw that person in prison. Because I had the legal right to do that. How insane was that? That's why the, the fellow onlookers are distressed over this. They're, they're hurting, they're anguished that such, such craziness has just happened. Well, what is Jesus saying as he's talking to his disciples? He is saying, I have forgiven you I have forgiven you this much. That's what I've forgiven you. And what, well, you know what? Let me just cut off an inch. He said, 
I'm asking you to forgive somebody this much. Well, wait, not this much. One one thousandth of this. I've forgiven you this. I want you to forgive this. Thanks, gentlemen. Now, here's the part that some of you don't want to hear. You have offended a holy God so much more deeply than anyone has ever offended you. Am I right or am I right? You walked on this earth for any length of time. And I will tell you, with all the pain that others have inflicted on you, genuine and real and torturous and hellish, all of that, I'm just saying, you have offended a holy God so much more deeply than anyone has ever offended you. Jesus is looking at Peter and he's saying, Pete, listen, man. He's saying, saying, Do it. I mean, just forgive. Don't carry that with you, Pete, into 2007. Just, just don't do that. Just get rid of it. Well, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is that we give up the right to hurt each other with what's been done to us. That's what it means. Doesn't mean I've forgotten it. Doesn't mean that that uh, everything is just happy-go-lucky. Doesn't mean that uh, a genuine offense has not occurred. It doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation has to occur. It doesn't mean that. I mean, if if someone continues to abuse you or hurt you or affront you, you don't have to reconcile. You don't have to give someone who's stolen from you your wallet and just trust them again. But you can forgive them. Seven times? No, 77 times and beyond. You can do that. And if I'm understanding this parable, I mean, Jesus is saying there are some pretty significant stakes here. In fact, it's almost like the, uh, the, the ability for, for us to understand our own forgiveness is what gives us the ability to forgive others. Or conversely, if, if we have an unwillingness to forgive, it may mean that we have not fully entered into forgiveness. Oh, that's Jesus. Okay. And these folks are so distressed. Look at how the text goes from here. The, the king now is getting word of this, and it says, Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Well, that word jailer, you know, it really is. It's torturer. It, it, 
And you know, earlier, when this guy was begging for mercy, he was not described. The king did not put him down, didn't hammer on him, didn't call him wicked, doesn't even say he was angry. He says, ah, I'm going to forgive you. Now, look at what happens, because he's unwilling to forgive. Look at the words that show up there. It says, he says, you wicked servant. And, and, and it says, you know, he was angry. And, and it's like, my goodness, forgiven people need to be forgiving people. It's, it's who we are. I'm not telling you you've got to reconcile with everybody who's ever harmed you. I'm, not, I'm just saying you give up the right to hurt them. That's what you're doing by forgiving. So I'm going to put that behind. You know, there's an old story. I might have told this once about an old itinerant preacher. His name was Vance Havner down in the south back in the earlier days of the 20th century. And he was one of these preachers where he's preaching at a church and they'd take a special offering or a love offering for him to pay his expenses and to give him something to live on. And he sees the offerings being taken and he sees the ush- one of the ushers is slipping some cash into his pocket. And he doesn't say anything to anybody but he's churned up about it and he goes back to the stinky little hotel room and he can't sleep at night he's just all churned up over this and finally he gets up and he says Lord he says I'm going to forgive that man I'm going back to sleep you keep him awake (laughs) and Jesus it's almost like Jesus says this really matters in fact he almost is, is visceral about them himself. Look at this very last verse. It says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. It's like eventually, emotionally, you're going to get there. But you got to do it. You got to step into it. You you can't just allow this stuff to churn up and, and beat you up and control you. I mean, my goodness. I almost feel, I know Jesus wouldn't say that this way, maybe, I don't think he would, but I almost feel like he's saying forgiven people need to be forgiving people and uh, if you don't want to be a forgiving person, fine, be that way. So I, I feel like Jesus, fine, be that way. Fine. Go ahead. Let it, let it rob you of your sleep, let it rob you of your joy, just Fine that way (sighs) folks we're about to put 06 in the can why don't we put this in the can too okay and I don't know who's done what I gee whiz in this world you will have tribulation we sang before you know well guess what some of you have been tribulated a lot but what are you going to do I say it's better to follow Jesus put it in the can not easy, but you do the right thing and you let your emotion catch up. Let me tell you a couple stories from history. We'll wrap this thing up. You know, back in the 1860s, and the, the Civil War was going on in the United States and the U.S. Capitol wasn't completed. They were working on the dome and there was a question on whether they are going to go forward with it. Lincoln was president. They went forward, but everybody's wondering what's going to happen to our nation. Well, in the 1850s, about a decade earlier, there was an Italian sculptor who was commissioned to create what was going to sit upon the, the dome of the U.S. Capitol. And some of you know what's there, or maybe you've just seen it. You don't know what it is, but it's called the Statue of Freedom. It's 19 and a half feet tall, probably about as tall as this room. This big, monstrous bronze statue 
of Freedom that was commissioned for this Italian sculptor to make the molds in the 1850s. In the 1860s, actually 1862, they started to do the casting of this bronze statue. The, the casting job was placed in the hands of a company owned by a guy named Clark Mills. They were beginning the casting in 1862 and into 1863 They create, folks, the Statue of Freedom. The foreman in charge of this job wanted more money and he would not work unless he was given more money for this job. Clark Mills was unwilling to do that, so he let him go. And he passed the job on to the assistant, whose name was Philip Reed. Big deal. Big deal. Philip Reed was a slave. He's the one who cast that statue of freedom sits atop our nation's capital. Is that insane or what? Thirteen months after he cast the statue, he received his freedom. He was emancipated. He was a free man. I'm just telling you, folks, I don't know nothing. I'm just telling you, you do what's right till your freedom comes. And I don't know how much I'm asking you to give over, how much God is asking you to give over to forgive somebody. I'm just telling you, you do what's right till your freedom comes. Forgiven people must be forgiving people. And if you want to be forgiving, fine. Be that way. One more story. Remember I was talking about this Empress Zeta? She had so much history under her belt when she died at the age of 97, but one of the things that was most fascinating is that not long after she was married, her husband, Carl's uncle, Archduke Ferdinand, was assassinated. Remember that from your history books? Archduke Ferdinand assassinated. It was the powder keg that blew, started the war, the Great War, the war to end all wars, World War I. August 1914, that war begins. People don't think it's going to last all that long. We never tend to think that when we get into wars. And, and around December of 1914, they realized this is for keeps. And this, this process called trench warfare has begun. Do you remember that? Where they, they would dig these trenches, the Germans and the Allies facing each other, maybe 75, 100 yards away, pick off each other when somebody would pop up and they'd live in these trenches and it was just terrible conditions. Well, it got to be December, and they, this is for keeps, man, and it got to be Christmas Eve. And the British are down in their trench crying in their beer, Germans are over on the other side and the British hear something strange coming across the quietness and they hear singing. It's a familiar song. The Germans are singing Silent Night. The British start singing along in their own language and the echo is heard across the, the field and they're hearing one another and another song is sung and another after that and, and this chorus appears in the midst of a war. Next morning, as dawn comes, they're waiting for the first shots to be fired. Shots are not fired. 
Historians refer to this as the Christmas truce. Shots are not fired, and nobody wants to be the first. <laughs> and how can I do this? How can I shoot it? You know, and then a German soldier gets out of the trench, sticks his head up and his shoulders up, and he climbs out and he begins to walk. And then a British soldier does the same, and another German, and more British, and more. And one by one, they gather and they meet in the middle of this field. And now they're staring at their enemies. And, and, and they're looking at them face to face and, and they're, they're, they're trading cigarettes for candy and they're giving drinks over and they're showing pictures of their families and they're shaking hands. Somebody had a soccer ball so they, they play a game of football. And even the officers were involved in it and the day was over and they go back to their trenches and you know what? Those folks never fired again at each other. In fact, the, uh, the higher-ups in the command, both on the German side and on the British side, said, no more of this. And what they had to do is they had to replace troops with different troops who had not seen each other face-to-face and had not befriended each other. And I think that's what Jesus has in mind. I think that he knows we have been forgiven so much and he calls us just to snip off a little bit and forgive back because at the end of the day, we're brothers and sisters and, and we commune around the same table and he just desires that. And, uh, and you know, they still, in southern Belgium where that Christmas truce occurred, they still remember that almost really on a daily basis and from time to time some of the descendants of those soldiers gather and they see each other face to face and and they just realize that forgiveness is a good thing and it casts a long shadow and it's what we ought to be about and there's certain scenes of history I just wish I could have seen face to face and uh, I wish you could have seen that one too